and welcome to another edition of Everyday Design. I'm Rachel Fisher. And I'm Abigail Hall. And this month we are going to be doing a shared open house podcast. Special podcast recorded from the luxury of Abby's little car. And you can even hear the atmospheric rain because it is a beautiful autumnal London day and we're about to go and stand in a queue in the rain. <laughs> the idea for, for you. For you, dear podcast listener. It's the best idea we've ever had. <laughs> so in case you've accidentally stumbled uh, upon, this, upon this podcast, this is Everyday Design, the podcast that looks at design through the lens of everyday life. Um, and every month we talk a little bit about what we've been up to, what we've been reading. So this month I've been doing a lot of reading, a um, couple of things, kind of from the small to the big. Um, first thing I've been doing, I've been reading a book called Consider the Fork by B. Wilson. Oh, yes. So basically, it's a book all about uh, the different implements that we use in our kitchens and how that shapes how we eat. I love it. It is amazing. It's a really, really interesting book. And the, the history of the spoon is <gasps> absolutely... It's, it's, it's one of these things where you think... This shouldn't be that fascinating, but it absolutely is. I'm so excited. I'm borrowing this from you, you are immediately. absolutely going to borrow this from me. Um, and it leads me on to my good design, bad design. More on that More on soon. that. But, um, yeah, so in addition to that, I was also reading a report by um, British Land, which is one of the big property developer companies yes. in the UK, and an article that Chris Gregg, who's the chief exec mm. of British Land, wrote in the Telegraph, kind of, this report. It's called Designing for Life, and it's basically about the importance of designing for mental health and well-being when you're doing a big, big uh, new development and talking about the work that they've done at Paddington Basin and, yeah. and other places. And it's a lot of the stuff that we've talked about before on the podcast. So things like thinking about um, green space, open spaces, and also the relationship between the buildings and the open spaces so you don't have too much overshadowing and making sure places are walkable and, and, and more livable, really. Um, but it was it was interesting for me to have this coming out from such a major player in the industry. Yes, and, and done in the Telegraph, not done in industry press. No, exactly. So something that, you know, definitely kind of more for a mass market, and I think trying to impact the way that people view properties when they're going to visit them. So trying to influence, trying to use, yeah. educate and influence. Yeah. Um, so I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it really kind of made me stop and think that the kind of stuff that we're talking about is becoming increasingly mainstream. Good. Yeah. Good. And so whether you're a, a small developer... Or influencing the the big house builders, the Barretts, Indeed, the Barclays, yeah. talking about that Good area. Design. Yeah, Good absolutely. Design. So how about you? What have you been up to? Um, I've been doing a lot of driving this month, and Excellent. it's meant that my um, normal high level of podcast consumption has been even higher. <laughs> um, and 99% Invisible, a Excellent. podcast which I actually think you recommended to me. Oh. So I'm giving you credit for that. Um, with the sexy voiced Roman Mars. <laughs> He's oh, just okay. ear butter. She's gorgeous. It is, it's you know what? Ear I, butter is not a phrase that, that I think make it sound sexy. It, no. 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 I meant like let's move on. Anyway, um, <laughs> they, they did an article. They did a podcast on Sears, the American store catalog company. Catalog company. Yeah. Sells everything. In the 1920s, one of the things they sold in their catalog was houses. Whole houses entire and everything houses. you could put in them presumably you buy your house you can buy the furniture you Amazing. can stock the kitchen with your spoons excellent which you now know the history of and it makes complete sense they were the catalogue company mm. you know where are you going to put your chair where are you going to put it in your Sears house amazing and so 
These were mostly sold in the 1920s. It kind of went a bit downhill, actually, after the, the Great Depression. Yeah. Um, and there's an entire movement now of enthusiasts who are going around American cities looking for these Sears houses, which, apart from a, perhaps a small plaque in a basement to indicate that mm. this was built by someone who received it in a railroad car, which I just find so romantic. The idea that <laughs> this little house is being carried on I a railroad know, car. it's so romantic. Um, uh, th- these people are living in them, having no idea that they are basically is. I mean, I don't want to say the Argos of houses, well, because I'm putting or the IKEA of houses as well, Ikea because houses, you know maybe. IKEA also designs houses, um, yes. so, as we talked about, as in, we episode talked about one. in episode one. I mean, so th- it's one of these things where things are so circular. They really there are. are, you know, there are no new ideas. 1920s. 1920s. Almost 100 years ago, Yeah. this was being done. Um, but what was very interesting about this podcast, so they had this whole thing about these people who go out looking for the Sears houses and the, mm. and the elusive Sears school. <laughs> A schoolhouse was sold. They've yet to find Amazing. it. Amazing. Um, but they then talked about what happened to the warehouse. They had these huge warehouses where you could go and you could yeah. collect items. A lot of them were within cities, because the cities expanded and encapsulated them, and suddenly you had these huge warehouse shops which didn't need um, to be there because everything was being shipped out, and how those buildings were reused. Mm. And it got me thinking now what's happening in retail where we're losing Debenhams, what House of Fraser is refreshing, we don't know how that's going to manifest yet, Mm. where we've got these very, very large retail spaces, and how can they be reused? Mm -hmm. So when you, you were talking about I'm going to quote Jay-Z. Excellent. History doesn't repeat itself, it rhymes. <laughs> yep. I did that. You did. Uh, how actually... So the, so the Sears buildings were converted. In some cases, they were knocked down. Yeah. What's going to happen now to uh, huge retail spaces that perhaps we no longer need in the same way? Well, it's interesting. So I was writing about... Completely coincidentally, I was I was writing about pretty exactly this phenomenon uh, in a in an essay for the Royal Academy Journal because of course you were of course I was yeah I write emails <laughs> so, so you know so, so 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 what I was writing about was the fact that because of technology um, technology is this obviously it's a big disruptor in our lives but because of technology becoming more social and because you can live, work and play all in the same space. I think what we're going to see is a move in urban design to go back to what would be considered more traditional forms of urbanism. So Mm. much more mixed use. So these big, big spaces will need to be reconfigured so that they accommodate not just retail, but also commercial, but also residential. And and how do you sort of repopulate these places with the entrepreneurs of tomorrow? So I was listening to another podcast, um, I was listening to The Urbanist this week's The Urbanist uh, talking about work and the city and they were interviewing the, um, I don't know, like the PR manager for Hoxton Hotel. Mm. And Hoxton Hotels all over the, you know, all over London, but in Paris and other places, they exist to have the lobbies basically be populated by freelancers because that creates the buzz and that kind of generates a lot of their revenue. The atmosphere and the loyalty. and... Um, And so this sort of idea that actually all floor space can be sort of generative and productive yes. in, in financial terms. Um, and so it may not be that you're making all of your money from the hotel just on renting out the rooms, but actually also on the coffees. You're not renting out the space, you're just selling a lot of coffee. But you are generating income. Every square foot exactly. is generating income. Exactly. And, it's, and that, to me, is good design. Of course it's good design. And actually, a lot of business models, they have to evolve. Hotels have to evolve. Absolutely. And, and, and again, it's just it's about how we use different 
spaces for different uses depending on the time of day. We've talked about that a lot. We have. We have. So, good design, bad design. Shall I go first? Yes, please. Okay, so one of the things I've been doing this month is uh, living in about four or five different houses. And this is because... Doesn't sound fun. It's less than ideal, uh, particularly with three-year-old twins, which is a thing um, when you get to the point when your son is saying, but mummy, please... Please, can we just go to our house for a little play? Oh, that's yes. so Of course we can. Uh, we can, you just can't go to the loo when you're there. No. Um, but anyway, um, so I have been using a variety of different spoons. And it was not something that I thought that I had an opinion about. I do. I have a very strong opinion now, about the mouthfeel okay. of the spoon. Can I just stop you there, Rachel? Yeah. You thought you didn't have an opinion on something. So I knew that I had an opinion about the aesthetic of a you spoon. You didn't think you had a I was strong aware opinion. That I, had, I was aware that I... So Patrick and I have been... My husband Patrick and I have been arguing about buying new cutlery. We have not bought new cutlery in the 17 years that we have been married because we so cannot much. agree on a cuttle. <laughs> a cuttle set eludes us. This is the exact same reason we didn't register for China when we got married. We got into a knockdown, as we were registering, we got into this absolute deathmatch argument over do I, you know, I wanted something more craftsman-like, and he wanted something, I'm not even kidding. It was basically white porcelain with black and white checkerboard. You can't have that as wedding China. Wedding China. I was like, I'm sorry, is this for your bachelor flat? Excuse me, I need to write a firmly worded text message to Patrick. (laughs) Anyway, so... I have used a variety of spoons over the last few weeks, and so some spoons are too shallow. They are so shallow, and 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 they can't actually scoop anything. So it's almost so more of a cake slice. More of a cake slice with a slight divot. Yeah. Not ple- not pleasant. Then there's the extremely deep soup spoon, um, and 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 that's the kind of I'm gonna say early 20th century silverware but like made of pure exactly silver you know the one I mean yeah, the with the rat house. tail in the middle yeah. and yeah yeah and f- fine for soup yes I remember, eat less remember soup that cutlery, than you would think but remember that cutlery is especially British cutlery mm. this is very British mm. cutlery um there is an implement mm. for Every Everything. meal type. And indeed, this is why you must read this book by B. Wilson, because she talks you through the kind of history and development of the, mm. of, of the cutlery. And I guess, basically, I'm now at this point where we definitely need to buy more cutlery. We need new cutlery. We're down to like sort of seven and a half forks. And it's just, you know, you, know, you lose things yeah. over the years. Is it okay for me to put spoons in my mouth when I go to John Lewis? This oh, is my real question. Oh, my God. So, no, absolutely Never go into a shop and then put anything in your mouth. Okay, but but how will I know? Can I buy just like so? So should I just buy individual spoons? Listeners, text this is, us. This is difficult. Please, I, Instagram. I, if anyone tweet has us, text any us. advice on how I can deal with purchasing and what about cutlery? The, what about the ethical minefield of buying a spoon online, putting it through your dishwasher, using it, putting it through your dishwasher, and then returning it if you don't like it? I to be clear, I am saying it's returned clean. <laughs> I'm absolutely not endorsing I'm... you putting a spoon in your mouth and then returning it. <laughs> Although I'm sure in Japan you could pay a lot of money for that. <laughs> Different podcast. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, so um, so that's my good design, bad design, and and and, it, and it's sort of good design is a spoon that feels good in your mouth and 
um, also is it's cross-functional. good, is cross-functional, is multifunctional, because we don't have kitchens with a battery de cuisine where we can have literally every spoon for every eventuality. Yeah. So what is the best all-purpose spoon that enables me to eat both soup, but also perhaps other things so porridge porridge was the thing that i was really really struggling with because a deep what would have a deep spoon kings. you end up yeah yeah Do you, know, you end I, up with the porridge i getting, hate, I hate yeah. to say it but i'm pretty sure an ikea designer has gone through this thought process yeah no but what the ikea problem they so tend to be I've flatter been, don't so they? they tend to be flatter and also they're quite lightweight the cutlery and and it, they just the edges are a little bit too machined mm, i do know what you mean it feels like it's something that's was a cut flat and then pressed. Indeed. So what's your good design, bad design for the month? Well, my good design, bad design, I'm recalling. Good product, bad imitation designer, good tradesman. <laughs> it's not <laughs> no the most catchy it's title. Snappy. Yeah. I may it may be just this month. Mm. Long and short. I had a decision when I was purchasing the kitchen whether to go with a bespoke, handmade, carpenter uh, manufactured kitchen which is what I wanted because I wanted a timber shaker style kitchen but I was very very much tempted by the interest free mm. offer that I got from the I'm not saying the brand because I'm not going to say positive things and I don't like to put that negativity out there the 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 big brand kind yep. of showroom kitchen showrooms where you can by the way still get a solid timber shaker yeah, style kitchen um and I was the interest free thing swayed me Frankly, I got the appliances in there as well. It's really made a big difference to the, the oh, work yeah, of the yeah, absolutely. Um, and I thought, because I am a designer, it's absolutely fine. I don't need a designer. Yeah. I can effectively do it myself. <laughs> and that that was a mistake. Yeah. So, um, good design... Even designers need design advice. Even designers need design advice. Yeah. I am not. Yeah, yeah. I haven't got 20 years kitchen design experience. Kitchens is not what you do day in, day out. I know how I use the space. I can articulate that yep. very well. I know about my, my patterns of behaviour. I know about zoning. Mm. But when it comes to the exact thing that will take the load of a Belfast sink, mm. I need you, kitchen salesperson, to use your product. But if you're just a salesperson, you may not have the kind of 20 years of experience of and, Belfast sink weight. And that is the problem. Yeah. So I, I, and I don't want to talk on behalf of all kitchen showrooms, but in this particular case, what I found was the salespeople were exactly that. Yeah. They were salespeople, not kitchen designers. And however, in a in a good design, bad design, the product I'm happy with, mm. the design I'm unhappy with, the, the product selection, but I've now got to go back to Source, which yeah. is those beautiful carpenters who have got the skills, and they're doing modifications for me. Okay. So I've got, I've, I've found a hybrid. I yeah, so it's sort of bespoke... It's semi-bespoke. Semi-bespoke, yeah. It's certainly not something that I would recommend, and it's really um, brought home to me that a lot, a lot, a lot of companies say bespoke, and actually what they mean is they have a lot of things and a lot of size variations, you know, 50 mil increments, our doors come in 200, yep. 250, etc. Yep. But in actual fact, if you want something that is truly unique to suit you... Uh. The only way of doing that is having it custom made for yeah. you. And these companies offer bespoke, they need to stop using that. The Advertising Standards Authority should get it. Um, so Strongly worded email. That is right. good design, bad design. So what we're going to do now is we are going to experience London's open house. And so the idea of doing this kind of uh, podcast on the road is that we'll be able to go see a building, come back and seamlessly for you, but, you know, Hours could pass for us. Uh, give you our quick hot take on this particular home or property that we're going to visit. More on this soon. Well, we're back in the car after 
an hour or so. We've just been to Lord Leighton's house, the Lord Leighton House Museum. In which Holland is, Park. In Holland Park, which is a oh, temple of Victoriana. Oh, it is absolutely a temple of decadence, mm-hmm. of the ability to be colonial and go around <laughs> the world and buy whatever the hell you want, no matter if it's significant to the country that it came from. Would you, would you like some 16th century tiles? Oh, I, I don't think they asked. No. I think they just said, I will have them. They were collected. Yeah, they were collected. They were collected. I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was a really good kind of study in how you can have a... In a sense, it was a live workspace, so it was his studio yes, was as studio. well as his... And, and the architecture lent itself to that, yeah. with the windows and the domed glass. Yeah, and very much, I think, riffing on um, John Soane's uh, Dulwich Picture Gallery and Soane's own house, in terms of how you bring the light in from above in you order to provide kind of diffuse light to the painting. Yes. and which worked. You can yeah. imagine when it was either candlelight or gaslight, yep. that you absolutely needed that, and thank you for teaching me that. I shall pass that information as if it was my own. Indeed the purpose of the podcast exactly information you can pass on as if it were your own good i'm glad we've established (laughs) our niche no i just i i mean there were some things about it that i just thought i'm gonna have no photos yeah so just listener to explain we went in um it's very very busy because it is open house london weekend um we actually couldn't get into the first house that we wanted to we will give in the show notes all the houses we were considering going to um and and then the ones we actually have and so it's a very very busy weekend and the rather tired and frustrated chap who's sitting on the ticket desk just said nothing except for no photos and Around the house are signs everywhere just saying no photography. And I think while I understand the point of not having flash photography, that because makes complete sense to me. There is a lot of artwork Absolutely. In there. That makes perfect sense. No photography just seems to me to be turning down the opportunity for free advertising. I completely agree with you. Um, the, the, we're very interested in details and we want to capture those details and talk about those details and share them with you guys. And we can talk about them, but ultimately... Design is a visual medium. Right. And we, we will lift the copy of the website. We'll give that link in the show notes. But it's not quite the same as being able to talk about the domed light. Or this, or, you know, in a particular shot of, you know, this angle that we saw. And, I, and again, it's just, you know, the, the, the whole idea of the, the social media moment where, you know, hashtag Leighton House. And, and, and again, this again, for me, this is just free advertising I very that they're much turning agree. down. So. And I don't believe that their intellectual property is going to be stolen by people taking photographs, which is the only thing that I can think <sighs> they're concerned about, that I've seen it on Instagram, so therefore I won't go. I, and again, you should go. Even if you've seen it on Instagram, <gasps> you should go to this place. It is the kind of place that you have to physically experience, in particular the... Um, the, the Turkish bathroom, oh. where basically, not bathroom, bathroom. Bathroom, Anyway, yes. you've got a, a pool in the middle of the room. You've got a dome, a golden dome oh. above you, and these amazing... Striped in black and gold, and these friezes, these Roman mosaic friezes in golds and jewel colours. It's just so rich and so beautiful. And, and because of the way that they've used gold on the ceilings, it really changes the quality of the light in that room. And you feel bathed in gold. It's amazing. And if you love taupes, greys, beiges, monochrome, and you fear colour, mm. go there because it will be kill or cure. Yeah. It really will be. I was be. about to say it's not the house for you, but maybe it's exactly the house that you need. It's, it's the antithesis. Yeah. It is more is more in this house. And yet it doesn't feel cluttered. No. 
So this was the conversation we were having in the house, actually, that my house is very... There are, uh, there are things in the house, but but carefully curated things, largely because my husband and I have a discussion about every single thing that goes in the house. But this is just, this does feel over the top and decadent and yet curated. And that's a secret, and I think that's why Open House London is such a fantastic event, Mm. because it prompts these kind of debates. Why, when we go into spaces, do we enjoy them or not enjoy them, as the case may be? And actually, it's about it resonating with you. I enjoy all of the details that are in there. The brass curtain rails, the height of the skirting boards, the colour of the... Um, painted floors. The painted floors. The painted that floors. That was a revelation. The, the tile work, the Corinthian columns, the ebonized door frames. The cut oh. velvet wallpaper. Absolutely stunning. The, I, I thrive on that. Another person may say I'm completely sensory overwhelmed. Yeah. I don't understand why it's not just all paired back. Uh, but it creates a discussion that empowers you to make design choices yourself. You don't have to create a version of the Leighton House Museum in your own home. But it may make you I would encourage you not in your choice. To. If I had that house. <laughs> if I had that house. If I owned that house in Holland Park, dear readers, listeners, I would be on my private jet. Um, you know, flying somewhere fabulous and doing this podcast there. Well, on that happy note, let us go to the next destination. And we are back in the car. Back in the car, out of the rain. Having fundamentally failed <laughs> to read the instructions properly. I want to say that you and I are both exceptionally good design managers, <laughs> design influencers, urbanists, but perhaps not so good with reading details on websites. No. So what happened was we got to the Tin House, which is in um, Shepherd's Bush, not far from um, Abby's house. And we were going to visit the Tin House, which I was really excited to see because it's a contemporary piece of architecture in a complicated urban infill site, which is the kind of thing that gets me very excited. You get your, you get your rocks off on that, get, don't oh, you, darling? Love a bit of urban infill. But um, it was only open from 10.30 to uh, 12.30 today, and um, it, is, it, is, it is 4 p.m. Yeah. So when we rang on the bell, there was a very confused, uh, who, who is this? And we, we felt quite guilty. So we don't have a lot to talk about in respect of the Tin House. It did um, look beautiful. It did, and again, link available on the website. Um, but it did get Rachel and I to talking about um, different forms of architecture and actually what we're drawn to. And I said, but of course we prefer Victorian we. to contemporary. Yes, because I, I did that, you see. Yeah. I made us one person. We, yeah. And you put me right, didn't you? So I prefer um, contemporary architecture to lots of Victoriana. I think everything has its place, but what I wouldn't want to see is a city preserved in aspic. Unless that city is Venice, in which case it's perfect as it is. I take your point, and Venice is beautiful for what it is. And I think what prompted it was um, a development which was, I think, kind of mock Georgian, probably built in the 90s, maybe late 80s. I'm going to say 80s. Yeah. Yeah. Which was across from the Leighton House Museum, and you sort of think, well, what is the point of this? Yeah, what are you trying to bring? Well, what are you bringing to the architectural conversation? Because it had a garage. It did. So, how how much? An integrated garage. Yes. Which all the Georgians would have had. Yes. For their. I mean, one of the things that really I keep thinking about in terms of this this design debate and this design debate about kind of new housing and um, 
couple of weeks ago, I spoke at an event called the Big Tent Ideas Festival. Mm. And I was speaking on a panel with Nicholas Boyd-Smith, who is a in, the founder director of Create Streets, which yeah. is a charity that basically exists to promote what he's calling gentle density. So the idea that you don't have to build high rise to build high density, which is absolutely true. The most dense bit of London actually is Notting Hill. Fact. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, and I and and I and I agree. We were talking about a policy exchange report, which was uh, effectively can design overcome NIMBYism. And my central thesis on this is that in order to build houses, you need three things: you need land to build it on, yep. you need the money to build yep. it, and you need permission in the form of planning permission, or you know wider yep. consent. And um, the design question gets you over the third of those kind of three issues but it doesn't solve the money problem no. good design doesn't have to cost more but it often does um and it certainly doesn't solve the land problem no, unless you're creating more land um as as they do in holland yes um and i guess another podcast we can talk about terraforming indeed um but but what's interesting to me is this kind of ongoing conversation about the historical architects um, so the people who are wanting to kind of bring back the you know, revival of kind of traditional forms of architecture and the arch modernist architects and the idea that um, the, the survey that Policy Exchange had done basically shows that people by and large prefer um, historical architecture, so traditional architecture. And to a certain extent, that makes sense because that's what you see the most of every day. You don't see lots of modernism. Response. It is yeah. a conditioned response. And one of their recommendations is that we should have consultant architects on all housing developments over 150 units. And that sounds like a good idea. It depends Except on who the architect is and what their viewpoint is. Indeed. And also, if you look at a lot of the architecture, a lot of the, the housing estates, we talked about this in our last podcast, but a lot of the housing estates that were done in the 1950s and 60s, which are the things that people like Nicholas Boysmith are railing against, mm. these pieces have had architects crawling all over it. They were designed by architects, whereas we're currently sitting in your car looking at some Victorian terraced housing which had no architects involved. Exactly. So, in fact, in actual fact, this is what I love about Victorian architecture in the streets of London is the... Or really the streets of anywhere. The streets of... Yeah, in the streets the of In the UK, actually. Yes. Um, is the, the detailing of the properties in respect of... We're looking here at um, the corbels or um, the cast stone door surrounds. It was the builder's calling cards. Yeah. So that's why you have the variety. You might have a run of five or six and then ever such a slight change. And those those little details were the... Here, I am the builder. I've got a standard plan yeah. and I repeat. repeat and, I've taken over it off, and, over. and I've taken it off the Victorian pattern book. Yeah. So the, these were not things that architects were actively involved in designing. They weren't actively de involved in designing the layouts even. But you'd have you had these pattern books and people were just, you know, taking this downstairs and this upstairs and yeah, putting a different paste. facade on it. In fact, um, it's funny you say about the calling cards. Across the street from me, there's a run of houses with terracotta cow Yes. Heads. And so every day I look out at these terracotta cow heads and my house does not have a terracotta cow head. And originally I was like, maybe it would be better to live in the house with the terracotta cow heads. But you're because looking. I'm not looking at the terracotta cow heads. <laughs> oh, I like that you're looking at the terracotta <laughs> cow heads. How many times can you say that terracotta after a Terracotta cow head, not very often. Yeah. Um, but, and, and interestingly, one of the things that I push back against when I'm thinking about um, high-rise mm. contemporary architecture is the the uniformity of the spaces where the, the yeah. one beds and the two beds and three beds are this uniform aspect. And then I have to challenge myself and say, no, stop, Abby. You love 
Georgian and Victorian architecture. Because of the repetition because and the of rhythm. the consistency. And actually, what I love is that people put their own stamp on it. And all that happens yet at the moment is contemporary architecture hasn't had the opportunity or the generations of people living in it for that evolution to happen. Yeah, for people to be able to make it yeah, their own. exactly so. So isn't it beautiful when you see... A, a roof terrace or a balcony where someone has lived there for a few years and the, the climbing plants have been yeah. bedded in yeah. and you can see the things hanging in the window, you know, the little chimes or whatever it may be. And you get a real... That's someone's home. Yeah. It, there's soul there. It feels like there's more soul in older properties because of the... Because there's the patina. Exactly. There's the amount of different hands that what have kind of worked through that. way of describing that. it. Exactly so. Although I say patina. Mm, potato. Potato. Indeed. So, next month, Abby, what will we be doing? Next month is a very exciting time. It's a proper autumn yep. uh, podcast we're going to be doing. And before then, I will be receiving back out of storage everything, everything that I own. For those of you unaware and not following us on Instagram, Abby has had to move out of her um, lovely apartment and into her mother-in-law's house while she has been completely gutting and refurbishing her property. Yes, exactly so. And um, it's going to be the big move back in. And I was quite militant before I moved out at decluttering, but I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling an autumnal declutter when I get back. And I'll also be enjoying talking about, I think, some, some new additions. I've been yeah. quite excited with, um, with Decorex this month, Focus 2018 at the Chelsea Design Harbour. Um, and... Barrow and Ball, Barrow and Ball, new, new colours, which we are going to do next month, um, either as our main topic or perhaps as our shared experience. Not that I can't talk about Barrow and Ball for 20 minutes at a stretch, but <laughs> maybe, maybe we just keep limit it to five. <laughs> we'll try, we'll try. We are an official Barrow and Ball ambassadors here. Um, I think there are going to be a few more additions in terms of um, fabrics and trims, if I actually have any money left. And indeed, and uh, yeah, next month I I also will be on a, a massive autumnal declutter. My husband started it last night by throwing out some mugs that he found offensive. Quote. <laughs> oh, okay, found offensive. Um, we're really interested in hearing what you're going to be doing going into autumn. Please contact us on Twitter at EDD Podcast, or you can follow us on Instagram, also at EDD Podcast. And send us photos, tweet us, tell us what you're doing. And also, if you have any ideas for content, things you'd like us to comment on, or your own views, you agree with us or, God forbid, disagree with us, be part of the debate. And just remember, everyday design. Everyday design. Everyday design.